Good morning, I'm Donna Quinn. Today we have an exciting program. My guest, Will Kaplinger, is on Zoom with me from Taiwan, where it is 15 hours ahead of us here in the Pacific Coast time zone. Will moved to the North Coast in 2008, and we'll hear about his journey working with the Classic County Planning Department, his career as a landscape gardener, designer, teacher, and a lot more. Will is an ISA certified arborist. He studied classical bonsai and uh, with the master uh, Yuji Yoshimura. He holds a master's degree in plant geography from the University of California at Davis. And Will is just finishing up his work as interim city planner for the city of Warrington. He currently has a land use consulting business, two branches, consulting, and he is the author of the just published book, Be Happy Forever, Make a Garden, which is now available on Amazon. Good morning, Will. Good morning. How are you, Donna? It's midnight there for you. It is, and uh, I hope I don't turn into a pumpkin uh, before this is over. It is midnight. Yes, thank you so much for doing that. We're going to ask you a little bit about why you're in Taiwan later on, but and and your perception of it at the moment. But um, for now, let's start with uh, introducing you to the audience and talking about your your background and this journey that's brought you here to to write this book and and all the other things you've done. Well, my interest in plants began because uh, both my parents and their parents were avid gardeners and there was always something going on with plants and I, so i grew up with it um it, just something i've never been able to stop doing and that was in sacramento california where i first was raised and uh, i went to hawaii and had an experience i'll tell you later on in the program that i called the cucumber tendril incident and that changed my whole outlook plants. And from there, I, I went to New York City, and I'd, I'd worked already as a landscaper um, after I, I moved back from Hawaii in California. I studied groundskeeping at uh, in adult education for six months and learned enough to be dangerous. And then I went to New York to visit my sister, Ling. Uh, uh, she had uh, gone there to visit a friend, and she ended up staying there. Well, I ended up staying there, too, and I lived and worked in New York seven years. I was uh, uh, studying opera as well as doing landscaping, uh, and then I was one of the, the the two major directions and conflicts in my life. And I decided to follow the green flag. Ultimately, I went out to Seattle and sang three years with the Seattle Opera, and then decided to, to go with my sister and brother-in-law. They wanted to move from Eugene down to Los Angeles, and I went down and lived in Santa Monica, and worked with subtropical flora. Then I decided from there uh, to go into a formal education, and I uh, studied, uh, met a good botanist uh, instructor at Santa Monica College, got me interested in plant identification. And from there, I went on to UCLA and got an undergraduate degree and uh, was talking to a fellow named Jonathan Sauer, who's a plant geographer. And plant geographers, I didn't even know what they did. I was going to study botany, but um, UCLA didn't even have a botany program at that time, just various courses. And plant geography is the study of, of human and plant interactions, how we influence uh, the, the development of agriculture, um, how forests um, have evolved, and how we manage them, 
um, how agriculture um, um, has developed through, through the years and you know, just our relationships with plants. Um, so I, I uh, studied uh, geography at UC Davis and they have a very good agricultural program there as well. My focus really was uh, more on urban forestry um, as well as uh, plant migration and, and human plant interactions. Really, uh, sounds like boring stuff. When I tell people uh, plant geography, I, I not only uh, uh, study trees, but I teach them how to read maps. Um, they do get lost in the forest, you know, and I have another story about that. And uh, then from uh, Davis, um, I moved up to uh, Crescent City and lived there a while. And then from there, I had gone on. I was doing planning work at that point. Um, I'd gone away a little bit from horticulture and uh, went up to Astor Astoria and began working with lots of county planning. Worked there of, uh, about two years, and then I became the land use administrator for Greenwood Resources on the Lewis and Clark Timberlands. So that was kind of a forestry experience. I uh, went back to Clatsop County for uh, another year and a half or so, and then decided just to quit the whole uh, work business. I tried, and that's the first time I tried to retire. It hasn't been successful yet. That's when I started my consultancy, and I, I got back into um, um, arboriculture. I became a certified arborist when I was working in the Bay Area right after graduating and did uh, power, hazard tree power line patrols for Pacific Gas and Electric. And so with, uh, I rekindled my plant my arborist certification and I did five years of hazard tree evaluation for the city of Cannon Beach. So I was in that and land use at the same time um, and just trying to keep those two balanced. And then in Astoria, of course, I, I still was singing and I joined the North Coast Chorale. And after a couple of years in there, I met my current wife, Lillian, who is native Taiwanese. And she had come over to the United States to uh, study and get an industrial engineering degree. And um, one thing led to another, and we decided to move to Taiwan one day. And that was uh, right before the, uh, the pandemic. And, uh, and we got here early 2020 and uh, have been here ever since. So that's kind of it in a, in a nutshell. Wow, you've had so many experiences. You worked you know, as a landscaper and a garden designer and you've been in Australia and in uh, you know, Connecticut, Oregon, Washington, all over really. So tell us a little bit about what it's like to be in Taiwan right now. Well, it, it's, uh, it's a wide ranging experience. You know, right here in our quiet neighborhood, we're in the Dahu district, uh, two blocks up from a huge city park. And it's relatively quiet, it's a nice neighborhood. There are trees and vegetation everywhere in Taiwan, which is one thing I find very fascinating about it. Almost everybody has potted plants out in front of their shop or home. You, you'll find a motorcycle repair shop downtown. They'll have 20 or 30 potted plants in front of them. Um, just plants of all kinds. And you see that all over town. And then, of course, um, Taipei and every other settlement here is carved right out of the jungle. And uh, you, you, you see tropical forest right up to where buildings are built. There, there are very few vacant spaces here. It's very mountainous as well, so you get quite a, a range of climates from um, the tropical forest to alpine uh, forest and uh, you know, everything in between. So it's really fascinating. And uh, 
Uh, Taipei, of course, is a very busy city. I lived in New York City, uh, Seattle, and Los Angeles, and Melbourne, and none of them were as busy or as noisy as downtown Taipei. One thing, there are a zillion scooters here, and not all of them are electric. In fact, most of them are not, so it gets very, very noisy, uh, but it's vibrant, and it's also very safe. Uh, you can go out and walk the streets here in the middle of the night. Uh, Lillian goes out and visits friends and walks home 12, 1 o'clock in the morning sometimes. And there are people out on the street, you know, walking around and so on. So they, it, there's, it's a 24-hour city. They never roll up the rug here. And, the, and you were mentioning just briefly the mood there about, uh, about China right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, most Taiwanese are not that concerned because it's been going on for so long. They look at it kind of as a saber rattling. Um, but with the, the Chinese incursions into the, the, uh, the air identification zone, it's not Taiwanese airspace, but still, you know, they consider that a provocation. So everybody knows what's going on in the news there, you know, and, and uh, um, the, the United States, uh, Britain, Australia, uh, the quad countries, India and Japan as well. Uh, everyone is, is getting into the act to support uh, a free Taiwan. One thing is that Taiwan has a very important semiconductor industry. They, they provide semiconductors to more than 50% of the world market. These are important for industry and business, uh, commerce of all kinds. So um, nobody wants to disrupt that with a war. So we're hoping that it'll just be saber rattling from here on out. Um, but, uh, you know, we're not too far from one of the airports and we hear jets fly over every day and I look up and I'm, I'm just hoping I'm not seeing things falling out of them that have fins on them. So well, otherwise well, it, it's, it's good. Let's talk about your book because this is a, a very exciting thing. And, and I don't know if you want to explain how the book came to be, but uh, well, maybe we should. Let's talk about why you decided yeah. to write this book and then the process of writing it. Well, when I was in New York City, I began keeping a loose leaf notebook of all kinds of facts and formulas, uh, design concepts and so on that I used in landscaping every day. We did a lot of terrace gardening and uh, things had to be um, lifted or transported to rooftops and uh, terrace gardens and so forth. And so weight was an important consideration. Um, quantities and so on had to be estimated very closely. And I, I developed a pretty good book with a lot of references that was kind of distilled from a other resources, but many I just developed by myself. And one day, one of my uh, my colleagues said, "Hey, you should you should put this in a book." And I thought, "Oh, that's a good idea." So of course, this was 1980 or so, and uh, I sort of sat on it for a number of years. And I floated it by a publisher or two, but the answer came back that, "Well, it's not different enough from other books that are about landscape data or landscape manuals." And after a, a long while, I believe one of my sisters told me, he says, well, you know, why don't you, why don't you put some stories in there? Because you have all kinds of stories from your exploits you know, in gardening exploits and so on. And I thought, well, that's a good idea. And of course, um, there was no turning back at that point. Now, now the big problem was getting me to shut up about it. <laughs> right. And so I wove in uh, all kinds of stories and experiences in it. So that's why uh, the name of it is, uh, you know, uh, the subtitle is a, a plant-based memoir, as well as a guide to making gardens and understanding plants. So it has all those things in it. It has a, a lot of technical information that's useful, uh, but then it, it has uh, the memoirs that contain the philosophy, 
and I try to keep it as humorous as possible. So, yes, I I, uh, I haven't had a chance to read the whole book. I just got it. Thank you a few days ago. You shipped it to me from Taiwan, and uh, but the humor is evident. Aristotle is there. He he makes an appearance. There are there's poetry. There's uh there's a lot in this book, and and you said it's kind of for anyone who's interested in gardening. But let's go back to the root. What, in your opinion, is a garden? Well, a garden involves interaction with plants. So there, there's generally a gardener involved. There's somebody who puts a garden together, a designer or just a gardener. Um, garden can have spectators as well, but the, the idea of a garden is that there is an interaction between human beings and plants. Um, whether it's on an unconscious level or a conscious level, that's what's going on. That's what constitutes a garden. Uh, gardens can be different things to different people, and uh, there's a wide-ranging scope of gardens. There are huge botanical gardens, uh, formal uh, gardens in uh, Europe and some of the larger cities. But gardens can be very small and intimate as well, and a garden can be contained in a tray top uh, on a desk. You know? So it, a garden can be a single plant. Uh, it can, kind of defies definition, but the, at the core, it's that interaction that's important. And you chose to name the book, um, Be Happy Forever, question mark, Make a Garden. And so you're weaving in happiness. And why did you bring happiness and gardening together? Well, it's based on a Chinese proverb I have in the beginning of the book. And the proverb says, if you want to be happy for an hour, get drunk. If you want to be happy for three days, get married. If you want to be happy for a week, kill your pig and eat it. But if you want to be happy forever, make a garden. And I always like that that proverb. So I originally wanted to title it, but if you want to be happy forever, make a garden. But the publishers came back and said, oh, that, that title's too long. So you have to shorten it up. So it became be happy forever, make a garden. And uh, it just, you know, kind of a chopped up title. But uh, so far it's worked. Well, and what and what happens when we garden? And I'm not a, a big gardener, but what happens when people garden is they are interacting as you say, they have a relationship with plants. And we know that relationships, whether it's with other people or with plants, makes us happier and and, and it, our lives more meaningful. And, and you were mentioning about the blue zones. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, the blue zone uh, around the world. And one of the common traits uh, that people explain why they, they live so long is because they get up every morning with a purpose. They have something that they need to do. And for many of them, that's tending a garden. Uh, growing vegetables, fruits uh, to feed their family and other people, or just to have that interaction with plants. And it can be very deep and very philosophical, and it can be very lighthearted as well. You know, I get a lot of amusement out of plants, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people think I'm crazy because I'll just talk out to them outright. And of course, they're, even, even if you speak English loudly and slowly, they won't understand you, um, plants that is. Um, but, uh, but the vibrations, if they're they're alive and there are vibrations, like think Findhorn, right, in Scotland. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. The, it's uh, everything emanates energy. Um, any shark can tell you that you know, there's electrical energy that comes out of all of us. And every living being um, emanates this energy and it penetrates us and, and we feel it, whether we're aware of it or not. And it comes from plants and our energy goes back into the plants. That's where the interaction comes from uh, on a very unconscious level, even. 
Thank you, Will. And I'm going to do a quick station ID. If you've just tuned in, you are listening to Talk of Our Towns. I'm your host, Donna Quinn. And today, my guest is Will Kaplinger. He is an author, just published a book, Be Happy Forever? Make a Garden. He is on Zoom uh, from Taiwan, where he is now living. Uh, He's worked on the North Coast. He's an arborist. He's a landscape designer. uh, He has a land use consulting business right now. And we're talking about his book. And we've been talking about uh, gardening and happiness. And, and, you know, the way people refer to a garden, and you're right, it can be one plant in a pot, is a garden can be a sanctuary. It's a source of food and, and beauty and, 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 and peace and so many things. And when people are interacting with the garden, with whatever garden they have, there's this, you know, you're getting probiotics from the dirt. And 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 uh, it reminds me of the piece of Wild Things by Wendell Berry. Uh, let's hear um, something from your book. You know, I, I started out uh, with, I've always believed in the, the mantra of safety first. And I my first chapter is called How to Survive Making a Garden. And I'd like to read a little bit of that. And I, I say in there that I'm not a martial arts expert. But I can testify based on fights I have lost in one round with myself that I am capable of inflicting serious injury on a body, mine. I have cut my finger to the bone with pruning shears only once, lacerated myself horribly with a pruning saw only once, wrenched my back lifting a stone slab only once, or ligaments in my spine and pelvis from trying to move a huge bronze garden sculpture with a root ball hand truck only once, and even managed to slice my wrist open with a rope only once. You get the gist of what all these accidents have in common besides pain and the underlying klutz factor? Yes, you got it. Each one happened only one time. I can be taught, albeit most of the lessons I learned are written in blood. A bit dramatic, I know, but unfortunately it is literal and brings to mind the main message of this chapter. It is a dangerous world, so you need to know how to survive in your jungle, only if it is inside your house, fussing around your begonias. My upbeat message is that we bleed, break, suffer, and die. No worries, it's only natural. The trick is to minimize incidences of the first three and avoid an untimely onset of the fourth. Visualize being safe and think about how safety uh, is, is important before doing anything. I give you lots of information on how to stay safe in this chapter. As you turn the pages, be careful of paper cuts. That's great, Will. That's Yes, absolutely. Safety in the garden. Because uh, a lot of uh, people can wrench their backs. There are lots of things. So that's excellent. Um, and then what you weave throughout the book, and people can probably now have heard, now that they've heard what you've just read, they recognize that humor. So your philosophy of life, uh, you know, which is a tapestry from so many of your experiences, uh, and your humor is, uh, is evident throughout the book. So do you want to tell us a little bit more about that piece? Well, the philosophy is that happiness is not the same as contentment. Happiness is an an active state. And it's something that you have to seek out. And it can hide in some very strange and interesting places. Sometimes you come upon it serendipitously. And other times you have to manufacture it. But But the fact it's not static. And to me, happiness always involves discovery of some kind and, uh, and, and a purpose that's involved. And I have something in my book, too, that involved the discovery. And this is what got me 
actually interested in plants in the first place. And that was what I call the cucumber tendril in incident. And if you have a minute, I'd like to read about uh, what happened there. And that's when I was gardening in Hawaii and I, I had uh, uh, made a circular garden out in the middle of an orchard, or, uh, orchid field. And I planted um, cucumbers and beans around a teepee, uh, a bamboo teepee frame. And after the seeds sprouted, I would go to the garden each day to watch the progress of the young plants toward the strings. The string beans subscribed to the program without much fuss, but to my dismay, the cukes would get within tendril reach of a string, but didn't seem to be able to get hold. I was on Hawaiian time and I didn't have to be anywhere. So one morning I sat down at the edge of the garden to see if I could help the little plants catch on their supports. I held one of the young plants up so that its tendril just touched the string. And I said to it, go ahead, take your time. I've got all day. Over the next several minutes, I realized what Yogi Berra meant when he said, it's amazing what you can observe just by watching. I took the time to watch and to my amazement observed the tendril begin to curl around the string at a pace slow but steady. I could clearly see it move about as fast as a minute hand of a clock moves, which was a speed I knew all too well. Flash back with me to my dreary eighth grade American history class. There was no fresh paint to dry, so I watched the clock and found that if I paid close enough attention, I could see the minute hand move. It sweeps slower than a somnambular snail lacking only a slime trail to mark its passing. I was fascinated to be able to perceive movement at that slow tempo, almost a super sense like being able to stand at the shore and hear the subsonic sighs of leviathans in the deep. Believe me, I would rather have super strength, the power to fly, or at least x-ray vision. You have to work with what you have. So back in the garden within the hour, the tendril had wrapped around the string and was inexorably attached. Witnessing the event filled me with wonder and stupefied me. I found myself at the chasm between knowing something and actually experiencing it. It is common knowledge that some plants have tendrils they wrap around things for support. I knew as much and had seen plenty of clinging tendrils, but had never watched the process unfold. I spent the morning holding tendrils against string, helping the plants slowly get their grips, and it changed the direction of my life. Not to mention that I got a nice crop of cukes out of it. That's great. That's great. What What do you think people aren't aware of about plants? What 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 would you like people to know about your experiences with plants and about plants in general? I mean, there's a you have a again a philosophy about about plants and our interaction with them. Well, I believe plants have some type of self awareness uh, in their tireless vining and growing and leafing out and setting buds and so on. And there's also been a lot of research recently about how plants and trees communicate even through their roots or in, in other ways, and they'll actually support each other. And there are mycorrhizal symbiotic interactions between uh, trees and plants and uh, bacteria and fungus and lichens and so on. They, they're, it's, it's quite uh, quite an ecosystem that that, you, that can be found. And, and there's so many things yet to be undiscovered or yet to be discovered. Um, but plants are on a different time frame. Part of that is that very, very slow movement that we can't, most of us can't really perceive, but they're moving constantly all the time. You ever look at a, a, a sped up photography or something, plants are twisting in the wind, their vines are moving. Uh, searching for 
something to grasp onto. Um, there's so much movement that's going on, but it's at a different time frame. And if we slow ourselves down and spend time in the plant's time frame and not our own, which means taking some time with the cucumber tendrils, I sat out there for an hour doing that, you know, and that's sometimes not enough time. I have a chapter on forest bathing, and that's another thing is to go out into the forest. And there are books on that as well, uh, more than the chapter that I devote to it. But I recommend people go into the forest and, and don't go with having a destination in mind or completing a loop trail. As soon as you enter the forest, you're in the bath, you have arrived. And move at slow deer speed, I call it, so that you can appreciate the sights, the sounds, the smells, and the experience of being in a world of vegetation. Oh, that's lovely. Um, gosh, well, we could talk for a, a, another uh, hours here, but um, we only have a few minutes left. So I want to give you the opportunity to any last things that you would like the listening audience to know about your book, which is available on Amazon. The title of the book is Be Happy Forever? Question mark. Make a garden. And it's a, a it says the, the a quirky plant-based memoir and guide to making gardens and understanding plants. There's a ton of useful information. A lot of fun stories. What would you like the listening audience to know um, that perhaps we didn't talk about in these last couple of minutes? Well, I'd like to stress, and my one pearl would be about happiness, because I think that's very, very important. That's the key thing behind the book. I try to uh, um, inject humor throughout just to encourage people to enjoy and be entertained reading it, unlike some garden books, which can be kind of dry. So I stayed in one section that I have just on falderall, um, which means nonsense or foolish talk. And I'm, of course, I have a lot of that in the book as well. But I say in there that the pursuit of happiness may be a human right, but I consider it to be a not so solemn duty. We are not blessed with life just to fret and fritter it away. True, there are dire straits to navigate in everyone's life. But is it necessary to hold perils and proven worries so close to our hearts that we become anxious? And pessimistic? A far finer point is to enjoy life no matter what the circumstances may be. To enjoy life, you must experience it. Take it from an old falderaller. The more you experience life, the more enjoyable it can be. And to experience life, you must have an open mind. I try to provide a good example. My mind is so open, you can read it like a book. Uh, well, that's right. And right now, when things seem so grim in the world in so many ways with climate change and the, and the pandemic, politics, all of that, um, to create a garden, to interact with a plant, even your house plants, and you even talk about that, um, how to interact with plants, that can be very healing for us. And, and, and having gratitude to the plants, I think that's a pretty big thing, too. Yeah. No, I'd like to leave one thing with the readers too, or the listeners, I didn't put in my book, so it'll have to be in the sequel, is the importance of sterilizing and using clean cutting tools on your plants. It's a surgical operation anytime you cut into a plant and you can save a lot of grief by just uh, using an alcohol wipe on your pruning shears um, or lopping shears before you cut on a plant and after in between cuts as well. Very, very important. Oh, Will, that is brilliant. Thank you. That's a very powerful thing. Um, thank you so much for making the time. It's now 1230 a.m. there where you are. So I hope you can now go to get a good rest. And I'm so grateful for this time and, and uh, 
really appreciate everything you're doing. And again, Will's book can be ordered on Amazon. Uh, Will Kaplinger, Be Happy Forever, Make a Garden. Uh, an important thing to think about during this time we're living in on, the, on the planet Earth. And until next month, because uh, Talk of Our Towns is now only available. We do it uh, the first Thursday of each month now. It's not weekly anymore, but um, I'm so grateful for all of you who tune in. Uh, I want to thank Nevada for arranging all of the technology and my gratitude to local talented banjo instructor Michael Brunn for his original theme music for this program. So why don't we just take a moment today, and Will even talks about breathing in his book, Breath. Let's all take a moment to take a very deep breath together. So good for body, mind, and spirit. And then with gratitude, focus on the things that are going well in your life. There will always be things that aren't going well, but focus on those things that are going well with gratitude and then give yourself a loving and compassionate hug or a pat on the back for being uniquely you, for doing the best you can, for being here now in this moment, the only moment that exists, the now moment, on the amazing planet we call Earth.